Hello everyone and welcome to Business Basics, the podcast designed to give some information about how economic and financial markets work and some accounting practices in order to give you the tools to make smarter financial decisions. Whether you're looking to learn something brand new or you just want to refresh on some basic economics, there's a place for everyone on our podcast. My name is Arch Janarker and I'm the host from Houston, Texas, and I'm also interested in pursuing finance as a career. With that being said, let's jump into the first episode. So with the onset of the coronavirus in the news, we've been hearing a lot about government action to rescue the faltering economy. And in the last few weeks, we have heard more and more stories involving the Federal Reserve. How the Federal Reserve is hoping to save our economy, which has taken a large downturn, as we can all see within the last month. Stocks coming down 33%, losing a third of their value. And so this brings us to the question, what is the Federal Reserve? Because since we were young, we've been taught that there were three branches of government. The legislative branch creates laws, the judicial branch interprets those laws in terms of the Constitution, and the executive branch enforces those laws. So where does the Federal Reserve fit into this picture? Is it a part of the Treasury Department? And who gives the Federal Reserve its authority? Also, what's the difference between the Federal Reserve and the Treasury? Aren't they kind of the same thing? So we're going to answer those questions and the many more that you have today. And to really understand the Federal Reserve, we have to go back and figure out the role that it has played throughout the 20th century. So our Federal Reserve story starts back in the early 1900s, and actually even before then. See, leading up to this, to the early 1900s, we had had a series of major financial panics within the U.S. The major notable ones were the Panic of 1873, following the construction boom that happened after the Civil War, Panic of 1893, right in the heart of the Gilded Age, and the Panic of 1907. And the Panic of 1907 is the one we're going to focus on. But before we do that, we look at all three of those major financial events and the intermediate ones sprinkled in between. What was the common denominator between all of them? They all involved banking failures that resulted in prolonged periods of economic depression. And these banking failures were caused by rampant speculation. Banks made foolish loans to these speculators. And ultimately, you'd have these speculators creating these economic bubbles. And then whenever these bubbles collapsed, these prices became unstable. Then the entire market crashed when the bubbles collapsed. So... If we go to the 1907 panic, what happened in 1907? So the fallout from the crash of the United Copper Company stock led to the chain reaction of bank runs. And you had a stock owner trying to make money off of shorting a stock. And he miserably failed. He got put into a lot of trouble. His reputation got got ruined. And his name was Mr. Otto Hines. And so he was a very well-connected man him and his brother and they were presidents of several banks around the country especially within new york and so a lot of people they start hearing that oh mr hines and his family are at the head of my bank and if they're going to do this to their company then i might as well take my money out of my bank 
So all around the country and starting in New York, you start seeing these massive bank runs where people are going to banks and the crowd and the line just gets longer day by day, hour by hour. And you have people standing outside of banks just asking for their money back and banks having loaned this money out don't have the money to give them. So banks have little to no liquidity and at the same time, they have people asking them for loans. So banks are refusing to give out these short-term loans and they have dramatically raised interest rates to the people who they do give loans to. And these interest rates reached even as high as 70%, which is extremely high to be paying on an int- on bank loans. So because of this, you had people afraid to basically lend money, lend money to corporations within stocks or put money into stocks and lend money to those corporations on stock exchanges so within the stock market as well you had low volume so even the stock market the stock exchanges were in danger of shutting down because of the low volume of trade so all these bankers and stock exchange managers within new york city they all go to the most famous financier in American history at that time and still is to this day probably the most famous financier and his name the one you've probably heard of is JP Morgan so JP Morgan uses his own money he's a billionaire and he uses the he gets other billionaires like John D Rockefeller to pitch in and what they do is they get they say okay banks will give you our money you can use our money to give to people who are asking for their money back. And JP Morgan and people like John D. Rockefeller were extremely well connected. And so what they do is they get even the Treasury Department to pitch in a little money as well to these banks. And they convince bank managers, you guys are being a little harsh. Come on, just give, just lower your interest rates, give reasonable loans to people so they can trade stocks. And the actions of JP Morgan here were tremendous, had a tremendous impact. JP Morgan's actions prevented the crisis from becoming even worse than it did. As bad as the crisis was, it could have been a lot worse had JP Morgan not stepped in and rallied his friends and, and the government and as well as his wealthy friends to chip in and convince these bank managers to calm down and alleviate some of the concern caused by the panic. So in the aftermath, though, even though JP Morgan had basically saved the problem from becoming a lot worse, there was concern, though, about the reliance uh, of private on of the government relying on private individuals to have to rescue the entire economy. And the worry was that, yes, JP Morgan rescues the economy, but he's also having almost the entire control of the U.S. economy. He's controlling almost the entire U.S. economy, the major banks, especially in the Northeast, which at the time was the the population hub of the United States. And in addition to that, J.P. Morgan has a financial limit to him. He's growing old. He's going to pass away within six years. And to him, it's like, I can't afford to save the economy each time there's speculation and there's incompetence within the banking industry. So he's also desperate for a measure to alleviate this problem in the future. So, 
and keep in mind too part of the pro- reason why JP Morgan had to step in and why it was the wealthy who had to step in primarily rather than the government was that the US had no central banking system see back in 1837 the president of the United States Andrew Jackson let the charter for the second bank of the United States the National Bank expire and so since 1837 the US has had no central bank no central banking system at all so what JP Morgan and his wealthy friends as well as government officials who are anxious to change this policy they start working on a proposal to create a federal banking system essentially to replace the central bank that was abolished in 1837 so after haggling over various proposals JP Morgan ends up passing away in 1913 and it's ultimately in December 1913 that the Federal Reserve Act is passed and signed is passed by Congress and signed by President Woodrow Wilson and so the initial system that they set up of the Federal Reserve also known as the Fed was pretty insufficient it was decentralized so you have the Fed chugging along and then here in in the late 1920s fresh off the roaring 20s when you had the rise of consumerism and a lot more people adopting credit the the Fed decides to raise interest rates in 1928 and then in the early 1930s when after the after Black Tuesday when the stock market crashed the and these banks are experiencing bank runs the Fed is making the decision to not give money to these banks which kind of defeats the purpose of why the Fed was set up, right? If we go back to 1907, it was ultimately JP Morgan and his friends who ended up giving money to banks so they could give to people. And they said, okay, enough of that, we'll have the government do that. So they set up the Federal Reserve, but then here in the Great Depression, the Federal Reserve is refusing to give money to the banks. And the reason behind this was at the time, it was still very polarizing to have the government step in and give this much money to private industry. And over time, that view has significantly evolved. But at the time, it was very controversial for, for the federal government to give money like this. And so then the decision was made to not give money to banks. And this ultimately does end up prolonging the depression as long as it did it was only ended by the u.s entry into world war ii in 1941 and throughout the great depression you have high deflation so the opposite of inflation where you don't have enough money circulating through the economy and all of this harkens back to the the federal reserve's decision to raise interest rates in 1928 where you had people with less disposable income and so they were less willing to spend on things like entertainment and uh, travel so you had less money going throughout the economy and by the time the fed realized that they had made a mistake in 1928 by raising interest rates they decide to introduce money not but not giving it to banks but by in- stimulating it through various proposals and they try this in early 1931 and they do end up releasing some money but the problem is it's too little too late they should have done it much earlier and ultimately 
we're left with a lot of New Deal proposals like the Glass-Steagall Act and some other New Deal reforms that end up giving the Federal Reserve's responsibilities over to the Treasury. And what this process does is it allows the Fed to become more focused on certain duties, it'll, and it will also allows the Fed to become more centralized. So in effect, it's making the Federal Reserve a more efficient system that way it can effectively implement U.S. economic policy. So what is the Federal Reserve today? So basically, the Federal Reserve is what is known as a bank's bank while simultaneously being the government's bank. It sells notes and bonds, which are basically where consumer gives money to the government and the government uses that money and after a certain period of time, depending on the bond length or the note length, then the federal government gives that money back to the person who purchased it with interest and each bond rate has an interest rate attached to it which allows the consumer to make money from it. In addition to that, the Federal Reserve is also responsible for distributing cash supply from the treasury to the banks. So that means that it's a whole nother organization within the federal government that's separate from the treasury. It's working in tandem with the treasury to distribute money but it's not the one producing money that is the treasury's job the fed the federal reserve has 12 banks it has banks in boston new york city philadelphia cleveland richmond chicago atlanta st louis minneapolis dallas san francisco and kansas city so these 12 banks all have a president or a CEO who is responsible for managing that bank. And each of these banks are responsible for distributing money to their respective regions and lending major commercial banks money. In addition to those 12 banks, the Federal Reserve also has a seven-member committee known as the Board of Governors. And this Board of Governors is the one who sets interest rates and they are the ones who help in making public policy them in tandem with the Federal Open Market Committee and another system we'll talk about. So, the Board of Governors, seven-member committee, appointed by the President and approved by the Senate. And then you have, on the seven-member committee, a chairman and a vice chairman who are appointed to the, by the President and they serve four-year terms without any term limits. So now I mentioned the Federal Open Market Committee. What exactly is that? The Federal Open Market Committee is the Board of Governors plus the President of the of New York City Bank and three other of those 11 other bank Federal Reserve Bank chairs that end up rotating in a yearly fashion. This Federal Open Market Committee meets eight times a year and they're the ones who set federal, the Federal Reserve policy. They set interest rate guidelines within the interbank market. So what does that mean? Basically, banks trade money amongst themselves before they trade it to consumers. And whenever they trade it amongst themselves, they have an interest rate that they abide by. And because you have competing banks trading money, you're not going to have one bank set an interest rate. What you're going to have is the banks abiding by the interest rate guidelines set by the Federal Reserve. So those banks will trade money amongst themselves by the by the range set by the Federal Reserve and then in turn those banks will 
for the most part, set their own interest rates that they charge consumers or people who they give money to, that they loan money to. They'll charge them interest rates that are around the same area as the Federal Reserve interest rate guidelines. So that's one aspect of the Federal Reserve. In addition to that, it can int- it's also responsible for introducing money into economy. So the Federal Reserve helps to sell bonds, i.e. drawing money into the federal government. But in economic downturns, the Federal Reserve also buys bonds. So therefore, it buys that bond back. It gives money to the consumer whenever the consumer and the economy have less money than usual. And that way, the Federal Reserve is giving its money to the consumer. And that way, the economy has more money within it. So... If we think back to a more recent event than the Great Depression, immediately what comes to mind is the 2008 recession. And if we think about that, did the Federal Reserve have a major impact on alleviating the 2008 recession? And so the answer to that is that during this time, the Federal Reserve cut interest rates and it did purchase the debts of some struggling corporations. But the problem that what that happened with the Federal Reserve during this time is that the Fed began cutting interest rates in 2007. They thought the economy was slowing down, so therefore they decided to cut those interest rates. But in 2008 was when the problem really hit. That was when the economy entered recession territory. And so by the time we were in mid-2008, inflation had already started increasing because of those interest rate cuts from 2007 that the Federal Reserve's hands were tied behind its back to cut interest rates further. So the Federal Reserve couldn't do anything with the interest rate aspects beyond 2008, but what they did do was they injected $4 trillion into the U.S. economy through the purchasing of bonds, like I mentioned before. So the Federal Reserve put played a notable impact in the 2008 recession, albeit not as much as it probably would have liked to, given that the interest rate cuts from 2007 did significantly hamper its ability to affect change in 2008. And now we that leads us back to where we are today, where we have the coronavirus or COVID-19. And as we've all seen within the last month, the massive economic downturn that has occurred and so we've been hearing within the news that the federal reserve is thinking of or rather not thinking but it's already taking action and so this action that the federal reserve has taken have has already been that they've cut interest rates to zero so the official federal reserve interest rate range is 0% to 0.25%. That's already been done. It happened two weeks ago. So Federal Reserve is already on top of that. But the problem is, and we don't want to run into a similar problem like we faced with interest rates in 2008. So the Federal Reserve is planning to to inject economy money into the economy even faster this time than it did in 2008. And what you have right now with the coronavirus is no one is really willing to lend money. What you're seeing in the stock market is that people are dramatically selling their positions in order to get cash back. 
and no one wants to lend money to those corporations no one's going outside of their homes people are told to stay indoors so with no one lending money then that means someone has to and so the federal reserve has announced that it will purchase treasury and corporate bonds in order to lend money and this is pretty significant because a the federal reserve has never delved into corporate bonds before so that is pretty that's a pretty significant action additionally i've read that the federal reserve is even announcing that it will purchase around 75 to 50 billion dollars worth of bonds each day if we calculate that over just say the next 2 weeks to 4 weeks then we are going to massively out then we are going to have a, a lot more money than 4 trillion dollars which is how much the federal reserve put in in the 2008 recession so that's where we are today in terms of the coronavirus and the federal reserve's policy and its stance on alleviating the economic impact If you liked that episode, please feel free to like or subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. With that being said, stay tuned for more episodes and thank you guys for listening.